I V M. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Edges and Sledges Cricket Podcast. I'm your host this week, Ashwin, and we are very, very excited to be joined by yet another special guest. I'm going to give you some clues. She has played over 50 ODIs for India, over 50 T20s, taken over 110 combined wickets across formats for India, is currently ranked the number eight ODI bowler in the world. And if you haven't figured it out yet, of course, I'm talking about the magnificent, swinging, seeming, quick bowler, Shikha Pandey. Shikha, thank you for being on the Edges and Sledges Cricket Podcast. Uh, thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. And the pleasure is all mine. Also, I wish you could have just added uh, that I've played two test matches to the intro that you gave because I consider uh, the fact that I've played test match to be one of the achievements of my cricketing journey. So, yes. That is a great build. I saw that. I absolutely should have added that. And in fact, in your 110 combined wickets, I noticed that you took four wickets in those two test matches as well. So I have that in front of me, but absolutely right. Would love to talk to you more about test cricket, which we'll get to. But, you know, Shikha, we would love to first start by just learning a little bit more about your journey with the sport, your kind of your younger years. So tell our listeners a little bit about your journey. What made you pick up uh, a cricket ball and a bat, but obviously eventually with more of a focus on the ball? My life has not been any different uh, from that of a kid growing up in India. Uh, I've been a 90s kid. My father was an avid cricket lover. And probably that's the reason why I started following and playing cricket. So uh, I remember playing cricket as a five-year-old kid. I used to play a lot of gully cricket, backyard cricket. And every day in the evenings, 4.30 to 6.37, I would be out playing with the guys. I had a few girls I used to play along. So it was probably my father. Because of his interest in cricket, I started uh, being interested in cricket. So it was that. And the first memories I have of watching a game of cricket was the 96 World Cup. Uh, I remember we lost the semifinals, but because then I did not really understand the game that well. Uh, I, I just understood that, you know, there were all talks of Sachin being there and uh, all of that. So that's how I actually started playing cricket. A lot of cricket with uh, gully cricket with boys, yes. Very interesting. And so I want to ask you about the 96 World Cup. But when you started playing gully cricket first, were you, did you find you had more of a flair with the bat, with the ball? You know, Jamima, when we talked to her, had some great stories about being uh, a girl who would hit the, the, the boys out of the park and how that would rev her up. So what was it like for you playing, playing with the boys uh, in gully cricket? I wouldn't say that, you know, I wouldn't get to bat or I was only a bowler. But then, yeah, I mean, I, I played a fair amount of cricket because the group was mostly of the same age. Uh, I played cricket purely because of the joy that the game gave me. I mean, I used to love going out and playing with the kids. Also, I used to own this wooden bat, ball, I mean, the ball and the cricket set. So it was all mine. So every evening, I was the first one sought after. You know, they used to come to my house, ask me out, and then we would all play. So a uh, lot of love stories there, yes. Uh, I, the one story that I always remember, I was a huge fan of Sachin, Sachin Tendulkar growing up. So I had MRF, you know, I had painted MRF onto my bat so that I could, you know, flaunt being a Sachin fan and everything. <laughs> so I I kind of uh, uh, borrowed uh, water colors from my sister and I did that. And a lot of memories. I mean, I used to imitate a lot of bowlers back then. I remember 99 World Cup, Azam Mahmood. I used to imitate probably everyone that I could see. Daniel Vittori was another a left arm spinner I used to bowl a lot of left arm spin even when I started playing professionally after finishing my bowling and batting I would bowl a lot of left arm spin in the in the nets 
So uh, a lot of stories there. I mean, uh, I have had these, um, the first memory that I had properly of Sachin was the 98 uh, uh, Sharjah Cup that we played, the desert, desert, desert storm innings of his. Uh, probably that's the first one that I remember uh, understanding completely. So uh, probably from there on, I started understanding cricket and following cricket. And then I uh, started following the other players as well. So it's been that way for me, yes. Yeah, wow, lots to unpack. Great stories. So just by way of reference, I'm pr- probably just over a year older than you. So my brother Varun and I, who normally host the show together, also always say our first memory of cricket is 1996 and just being kind of of that age group. So, but 1996, you know, you mentioned 98 later, but 1996 for the men's game was a pretty crushing, crushing blow, right? Was, do you remember distinctly the feeling the pain or would you, do you think you were a little bit too young at that point to internalize? I was actually, I was very young at that time. And the, yeah. I remember two or three incidents where in the, the older the older folks in my group would talk about, you know, Sachin getting out early and because of that, we are not, we couldn't go on to win that semi-final game. And then a lot of fathers, colleagues would come on and, you know, talk about uh, how we were heavily dependent on Sachin and everything. I did not really understand cricket as much. It was just, if, if a game of cricket was going on and I, I had the, I mean, I had to choose between, uh, you know, going out and playing and watching the sport, I would actually go out and play, play the sport. So I didn't really understand cricket that much. So it was the 98, uh, Sharjah Cup probably from, from the, there on I started understanding cricket a lot better. And it was probably then on that I uh, started following the game. Very interesting. And then I want to ask you, because for us as fans of the game who've been watching your journey for you know the last five, seven years internationally, you have that signature bowling action for us. But it sounds like when you were growing up, you were imitating actions from Mahmood to Vittori, etc. So A, do you still imitate actions when you're in the net sometimes? Or do you now have your fixed technique? And then B, do you think your action was modeled on any one bowler in particular? Uh, I do not really think my action was modeled on anyone. Uh, I don't know. I mean... Uh, from the time I started uh, playing season ball cricket, which was very late, I took up the sport professionally and started training professionally uh, under a coach when I was 18, which is, I would say, which is too late for uh, when you talk about how kids start training when they are six or seven right now. So I I wouldn't say that I modeled my action on anyone. It was just that I used to like Javed Shrinath a lot when uh, growing up, because probably at that time he was one of uh, the leading medium paces for uh, India. And he's probably the only one with 300 plus ODI wickets uh, for India. So he was an in-swinger, but I didn't really understand it that much. I just kind of started bowling and uh, probably because you hit, I uh, you you miss, I hit. And that's how I started getting my wickets initially. And uh, the action has uh, kind of stuck from there on, yes. Very, very interesting. So thanks for sharing that. So let's go, let's jump a little ahead. So you did say you started officially kind of training formally a little bit later, but I know, you know, kind of at age 15 is when you, when you started making your, your surge and started getting a little bit more noticed. So tell us a little bit about that journey as a, as a late teenager. And, you know, obviously unlike many cricketers, including Sachin and folks, you made the choice to, to finish school, to finish college, you got an engineering degree so talk us through those years of your life and the, the choices you made then. Uh, firstly, I like to call myself a pan-Indian. I'm a native of Uttar Pradesh. I was born in uh, now Telangana, then Andhra Pradesh, uh, a place called Ramagundam. And because of my father being a teacher, a central government teacher, he's a teacher in Kendra Vidyalaya Sangatan, he kept shifting base and we had to travel along with him. So... Uh, 
there are a lot of things that my father wanted us to do uh, and the first was you know to study hard probably because we have had humble background he always said that you uh, you must study and you must finish your education and it wasn't just that he uh, he would allow us to do whatever interested us i mean all the other interests we were allowed to pursue but then he said uh, my my elder sibling is also a software engineer so he made sure that you know we study hard so i was a 90 percentile in my 10th and my 12th i was a science student so um, like i said uh, other other hobbies that we had was we used to read a lot i mean i have grown up reading a lot of cricket bharati cricket samrat any any book that you know i could get hold of uh, which was on cricket i used to read a lot of uh, sports star i had a lot of posters and probably that was my go to magazine because it had very good posters so it, it all started like that and um, most of the cricket that initially i learned was by watching cricket on tv and probably uh, my father used to play along with me uh, summer vacations he would come and play with me if i wouldn't find anyone to play alongside so he made sure that you know uh, we were focused on uh, pursuing our education uh, getting a good degree so i have had a professional degree i'm an electrical and electronics engineer so it was only in my second year of engineering when the bcci merger happened the women's cricket merged with bcci only in the second year of that i started playing cricket and we had a really good bunch of uh, youngsters i mean i used to enjoy playing alongside them there were a lot many of the girls who i played along they were more talented than me but probably i perceived a little harder and uh, to tell you the truth it was very difficult having a professional degree and to pursue uh, a sport like cricket along with it was difficult i still remember it taught me time management i'll be forever thankful to uh, my engineering degree because that uh, the degree uh, i mean uh, the kind of schedule i had at that time uh, it was very difficult mornings i used to get up at 5:30 go to the gym get back to the college attend the morning lectures then come back have the evening net sessions with my friends with my teammates come back finish my assignments so it was very difficult so all the support that i got from my parents my sister it wouldn't have been possible without their support so in my second year of engineering when i was 18 i started playing cricket and within two years i was playing for uh, board presidents 11 against uh, against the touring england team that was 2010 i played a one off season ball tournament when i was 15 i had just completed my 10th standard then so i played uh, at that time goa used to be in west zone so that was the only time i played but then i I was kind of more focused on my academics and the cricket took a back seat then. Very very interesting. So pretty safe to say I guess during those years when you had gym and net sessions and studies you got very little time for social life probably just enough to catch up on sleep. But let me ask you a question. I don't know if you get asked this often but you know having finished uh, an engineering degree I heard I believe in an interview or I don't remember where I read it that you got you know some good offer good job offers from from companies coming out of engineering college and you you know decided not to take those you know for 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 middle class india you know finishing a degree getting a job that stability is it, something many people are you know chasing their whole life so help me understand kind of that thought process when you said you know I've I'm a qualified engineer I got a good job offer from a, from a, an MNC or a good company but I'm going to turn it down to focus on on my cricket career and eventually the air force like was that a, that must have been a very tough decision right or was it more that you just you knew that you had what it takes by that point to play for India and that was what drove you 
no, it was difficult because I had only finished uh, playing cricket for uh, two seasons by then. And I was, uh, the one thing that I had already fallen in love with cricket. As a five-year-old kid, yes. I mean, I used to do those mock interviews where I, as if I was talking to present presentator who was talking to me and all of that. I've done all of that. So uh, there's a story I will never forget of the place where we used to stay in Goa. We used to have a lot of power cuts in the evenings. So I still remember my father would take me for walks on, um, you know, starry nights with his transistor. And we would be discussing cricket, uh, uh, cricket as if we were the two most important people discussing cricket, and and our uh, opinions would be taken uh, uh, taken you know uh, care of by people higher up. So that's the first memory I have of cricket. So, but I I didn't really think there was a lot of women's cricket happening. Uh, to tell you the truth, I used to think I'm the only girl playing cricket probably when I was playing gully cricket and you know playing cricket for leisure. But then I realized later when I started practicing that, you know, there's good competition. And I I wanted to then, uh, because in the two years that I had played, I had already represented India in board precedence 11 against England. And I, I actually wanted to go higher up and play for India by then. So after being placed in three companies, uh, I actually took a year off and it was difficult. Yes, I, I knew it would be difficult, but I actually found a lot of support from my sister who initially uh, was not in favor of me playing cricket. But then I was surprised when she actually sat down with my parents and she told them that if I have a dream and I wanted to pers- want to pursue it, uh, we should, you know, kind of uh, let her do it because it's her dream to play for India now. So I found an alley there and we kind of persuaded my parents. I took a year off. And as a kid growing up, the- I always had these two dreams. I mean, I wanted to become an astronaut or a pilot and I wanted to play cricket. So, uh, so when, after, after I couldn't get into the India side, the 2011 uh, season, the 10-11 season, I did really well, I think. Uh, but then I couldn't get into the India side. And as a kid growing up in Kentra Vidyalayas, which were mainly in defense setup, I wanted to serve the nation as well. I mean, armed forces was something I thought uh, I was made to uh, become a become an officer so that that was the other dream so I my father insisted that I try and then I don't know but as luck has it I cleared the armed forces SSB and I got into the Indian Air Force and I've always believed that uh, if it's written in your destiny you will achieve it it's just that you need to put in that amount of work so it was difficult. It was very difficult because we we came from a middle class family and it was difficult for my parents, a difficult decision for all four of us. But then I'm glad that we took it. I mean, I guess uh, the leap of uh, uh, faith is important some somehow and somewhere in our life. Yeah, I mean, I can safely say on behalf of Indian cricket fans across the country and the globe, we are all pretty glad you took that leap of faith for sure. So we couldn't be more thrilled to have you playing for the country. But I, I mean, honestly, not a lot of people get to achieve even one one part of their dreams. But for you to, you know, play, be playing cricket for India and be an Air Force officer is quite quite incredible. So let's let's talk a little bit now about the specifics of the cricket, right? So you said growing up, you bowled a little bit of... Uh, of uh, slow bowling, you batted, you bowled a bit of quick. Indian women's cricket largely, I guess if you exclude Julan Goswami, who's an icon of the game, is largely spin-driven, right? Like we have, we inevitably have three, sometimes four, often up to five spinners in the side. What was that point when you made the decision to focus on quick bowling and that, you know, you in a in a team that's largely focused on spin, you wanted to be the quick bowler? 
I would it say that I wanted to be a fast bowler? Yes, I mean, as a kid growing up, uh, I used to get up. I mean, I still remember 10 standard board exams. I would get up at 4:30 just to watch Ashes, or probably India was playing Australia. I would get up and watch those games, and I somehow uh, would bait for the wickets package more than the you know the batting highlights somehow. But then I had I never really thought I would become a fast bowler. Uh, there's this thing also, like I said, I mentioned about reading a lot of interviews. So I had read an interview about uh, about Sachin Tendulkar. I mean, of him saying that he wanted to be a medium pacer, but because of his height, he couldn't achieve that. I mean, he couldn't become a medium pacer. Uh, so at that time, I was, I mean, I would have been, uh, I would have been six or seven year old. And I said, no, that's not true. I mean, I'm also uh, short and I'll make sure, I mean, I'll show him that I can become a medium pacer as if, you know, he's going to be proud of me that I became a medium pacer or something of that sort. But then I just told myself, I will become a medium pacer. I'll become a fast bowler, not a medium pacer. So, I mean, that's that's one thing that kind of uh, drove me to pursue being a fast bowler. But I would say that was all, you know, I was being naive at that time or I was a five-year-old five year, five year old kid back then. So I wouldn't say that I started the, I actually, the first under-19 tournament that I played, I opened batting for my team. I played for Goa in the domestic circuit. I was the vice captain and I actually got three uh, half centuries in five games. So I would say I, I still take a lot of pride in my batting capabilities as well. Still for the domestic side, I bat number four. But probably I knew that somewhere down the line, if I have to make a name for myself and get into the India team, there's this lot of a good medium pacer, uh, you know, there. And I need to work towards that. I am a huge fan of not many people talk about them. Rumeli Di, Rumeli Dhar and Amita Sharma. Uh, amazing individuals, very good all-rounders. And uh, the tournament that I debuted in, the 2014 World Cup and the Bangladesh series, she was dropped before uh, that tournament. And I was actually disheartened because I wanted to play alongside Amidi. I have played alongside Rumidi in one of the T20 tournaments recently in 2018. But Amidi was, uh, was a hero growing up. I mean, I always wanted to become a genuine all-rounder like her. Very interesting. And then I just want to ask you one more, uh, when you think about being uh, you know, a genuine, genuine all-rounder, but who bowls quick. You know, the, at least f- as far as traditional cricketing wisdom I- it goes, they often say fast bowlers bowl in pairs, right? Whether you go yes. back and think about it in the men's game, Srinathan Prasad, or you think today, I mean, as we record this, England is playing West Indies. Anderson and, and Broad. And, yeah, Anderson and Broad, right? Probably the most iconic fast bowling pair of our generation. There, you've now, you know, since Chulans has taken a backseat a little bit, obviously you bowled a lot with Julan Goswami in your earlier years of your career. But, you know, in, in the latest T20 World Cup, for example, it was often you as the only quick with four spinners. Is that an Does that feel like just an added responsibility or burden? Or have you found kind of a rhythm and an operating partner with one of the spinners? Initially, when Juludi retired from the T20s, I used to think I need to take responsibility and, you know, I need to... Uh, uh, talking to the youngsters in the team, that has always been there. I mean, uh, I have taken that up. I mean, I have learned that from Juludi. When I got into the India side, she was someone who I could speak to about anything on cricket, off cricket. And she was always there to advise me. She has been a mentor to me that way. And as a kid growing up, she was my idol. And to bowl alongside was a dream come true. So whenever I get to, uh, in the T20 format, whenever I get to, uh, you know, work, bowl alongside the youngsters in the in the team. I make sure that we speak a lot. We 
talk about uh, field placements and everything. Uh, so in 2018, when Jurudi retired, I actually thought of that, you know, what you said, that I need to take responsibility and everything. But then I realized it was just putting extra pressure. So there were a few spinners in the team who were senior to me. So then I realized in the game of cricket as a bowler, uh, you have your bowlers union. And with me, it was just me and the spinners. And I was fine with that. I mean, if I could contribute in any way, uh, you know, bowling uh, in tandem with a spinner, not giving runs or probably taking wickets when they were choking the opposition for runs. I was okay with it. Uh, probably uh, we we thought of uh, it in this way that whoever is the best out of the number of uh, spinners or the medium pacers plays. So, I mean, that's fine. And uh, it's just the way it is. Yeah, very well said. And, I, you know, it, it's definitely non-traditional from a cricketing wisdom standpoint to have just the one quick bowler. But India, you know, your side and the Indian women's side has seemed to make it work really well for us. So uh, so the last time I remember playing four medium paces was in the 2014 uh, uh, test match. And I was so happy that we were playing four medium paces. I am a big I'm a, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a big um, educator for uh, medium paces playing. I would want to play like four medium paces in the team. So the test match that we played, we had four medium paces and I enjoyed it. I mean, I bowled one change, but the fun that we had as, you know, four medium paces on the field, talking to each other, you know, uh, giving each other inputs about how the wicket is and everything. It was fun. It was huge fun. And it helps a lot because when Juludi bowls alongside me and she opens the bowling, as soon as she finishes her over and she's going down to find like a third man, she will, you know, just pass on some information about the wicket, how the wicket is playing and it helps a lot. But then when you're just the one medium pacer playing and opening you, you need to kind of adapt really quickly because now in the T20 format, you do not really have that much time. So yeah, that's one thing that I miss. Yeah, and I think it's just for our listeners who don't recall that test match. This is the 2014 test match versus England. And if I remember correctly, I think the four medium pacers took most of the most of the wickets. wickets. I think Ekstabisht was the was the the single the single spinner and took one or two wickets in each innings. But you know, Jolan took a four for you took two in each innings. So just absolutely right. Uh, hopefully, we get back to a point where we have that kind of depth and the ability to play the seamers in the limited overs formats as well. Yeah, we had a record of 20 dismissals in the test match, which we wow. equaled the men's uh, record for, you know, those many LBW dismissals. Wow. And again, worth mentioning that in India, India won that game, right? So yes, yes. outstanding victory, great test match. I want to talk to you a little bit more about the format and the future of the women's game, but we're going to take a quick break. We're in conversation with Shikha Pandey and we will be right back. Have you ever wondered where the business world is headed? How the ways in which we create, market and sell to consumers will evolve? Or if we'll ever go back to wearing pants while working? For answers to all of this and more, tune into Advertising is Dead with me, Varun Dugirala. Every Tuesday, as I talk to entrepreneurs, leaders and change makers from across business, media, marketing and beyond, you can catch all episodes of Advertising is Dead on the IBM Podcast website, app or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome back to the Edges and Sledges Cricket Podcast. If you're just joining us, we are in conversation with Shikha Pandey. Shikha, I want to now probably take you back to a little bit of a tough memory. And I want to talk about the 2017 World Cup final. And so I'm sorry to have to make you relive this one. But, you know, I, I ask this largely because for many, many fans across the globe, uh, Indian cricket fans rather, that's probably one of the first few times India India's support, India's 
viewership numbers really, really surged for the women's game, which is awesome. But I, I mean, I distinctly, again, as a fan on the sidelines, distinctly will, will always remember, I think there was three overs left and you walked into the crease and I think it was still attainable. We needed 14 from 18 balls and, and then that run out happened, right? So again, I apologize for making you relive what's probably a tough memory, but talk us through what that was like, right? The immense pressure walking in there at a World Cup final with 14 runs needed uh, and then, you know, just hitting it to a fielder and getting run out. What, what, what was going through your mind at that time? I'm someone who watches a lot of my cricket videos after a tournament finishes, but I've not gone back and watched the oh. videos of the final. Uh, but then uh, I've learned a lot from that match. When I went into bat, I remember we needed 28 runs, if I'm not wrong. And we actually got 14 of them in pretty good succession. And uh, I had Deepthi playing alongside me. There was a miscommunication and that did not happen. And uh, probably uh, that's one memory that I have will have to live with because uh, the tw- a lot many people ask me about the 2020 World Cup and the 2017 World Cup, and which was uh, which was more uh, uh, sad or which was more heartbreak. I would say the 2017 World Cup because for the first time we were playing I mean I was playing in the finals of an ODI format or any T20 because any World Cup for that matter because I had played in the 2014 and the 2016 World Cup and we had not qualified but to get to the semi-finals and have uh, that, uh, that amazing game against Australia and go to the finals and uh, I mean, we were so close to winning it and that, that is what hurts because it was not a one-sided game. It was very close and it went, I mean, we lost by some eight runs. So yes, uh, we, we were all heartbroken firstly because uh, we had, we had worked so hard to get to where we wanted to. And we knew that as women cricketers and as uh, we, when we spoke about this, we wanted to, you know, inspire a five-year-old girl and uh, inspire all those girls who wanted to take up cricket professionally because that was that has that had never been the case before because the world cup got a lot of uh, uh, you know it was seen and the matches were televised we knew that we had a lot of support so uh, we just wanted to do it for women's cricket in india i mean to tell you the truth a lot many people do not understand when Mitali Di Juludi started playing cricket or or the cricketers before them, the kind of hardship that they had to go through and the struggles. They had had a really bad time playing cricket for India and they played probably just for the passion of the sport. But to be able to reach so close uh, and not to win the World Cup, not to lift the trophy was, uh, was heartbreaking. And um, like I said, we were on a journey to achieve something and to do good for women's cricket in India. And probably we were able to, uh, to give that platform to women's cricket in India by getting to the 2017 World Cup. So probably that was the plus. And I've always believed that, you know, every match that you play is a learning curve. And it, it's, it was hard, but then I, I've learned a lot from uh, the losses that I've seen in my career more than the success that I've seen. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Really well put. And again, for those of us who are a little bit closer and had been following more, it was worth reiterating how massive an accomplishment it was for that side, you know, to reach the finals compared to at the time, England and Australia had a much longer history of women's cricket, much stronger infrastructure, et cetera. So, but do you feel like that was a turning point? It was... Was the energy in the dressing room palpable when you realized how many people were watching it or coming out of coming home from the 2017 World Cup when you got the reception you guys did? Was, was, that, a, was that a turning point for the game in your opinion? I think so, yes. I mean, the 2017 World Cup and we finished runners-up, it was a turning point for women's cricket in India. I mean, the kind of surge I saw in the number of, uh, uh, you know, girls 
wanted to get into academy to pursue cricket it was amazing i mean i i for one was amazed by the increase in number of girls going to academies number of girls who wanted to watch us uh, play and lot lot of girls who came out and said that they would want to pursue uh, you know a career in sports in cricket and they would want to become a mithali raj or julan goswami which is amazing i mean at the end of the day when you look back and when you finished your career uh, the one thing i mean yes world cup obviously would want to be a world cup winner but then if you on the way if you've been able to inspire a few girls that's the you know uh, that is uh, an achievement and uh, i think we were able to inspire a lot of girls with our performances in 2017 world cup I think you're a lot more humble than than you ought to be given your accomplishments. I think there are lots of young girls who are run, run, running into bowl with a massive jump, wearing the wearing the headband and saying, "I want to be Shikha Pandey someday." So I'm sure of that. But let me let me jump ahead then. Obviously, a, an interesting kind of up and down couple of years uh, for women's cricket between 2017 and then 2020 rolled around. You know, going into the tournament, it was pretty clearly so. This was the T20 World Cup, pretty clearly outlined by all the experts, all the pundits, etc. That Australia were the favorites, right? They had, I mean, just an outstanding uh, squad. They had the, like I said, the best infrastructure in the game, etc. The best domestic uh, setup, the big bash for women for a few years now, etc. And then in the first game of the World Cup, you know, the Indian women's team shows up. You yourself pick up three for 14 and India basically crushes Australia and goes on to go undefeated in the group stage. What was that experience like? And how was the, how, I mean, that was likely probably an unexpected victory, right? Early on. Uh, yes, I mean, we had been to Australia probably a month prior to the World Cup, uh, more than a month. I mean, we were there uh, in mid-January, if I remember. We were supposed to be playing a tri-series against England and Australia. And we actually lost the tri-series finals against Australia. And um, I mean, we had a fair knowledge of what these guys would bring to the table and the same with England. The first game, I would say, uh, was very interesting because uh, when we went into bowl, we thought we had at part total on that wicket, on that pitch. The pitch was a slow wicket and we knew as soon as we uh, went in that the the batters had given us a fair idea that the ball was not coming out of the bat properly, uh, not that well. So we knew that if we could get a few of their uh, batters, the top two or three, we were in with a chance. And uh, I mean, it was an amazing feeling. Firstly, it was the first match of the World Cup. And to have the kind of support that we did on Sydney Showdown grounds was amazing. And Poonam Yadav, we call her PYI. I mean, the the spell that she bowled was, she was coming back from a finger injury and to be able to come back and bowl the way that she did was amazing. I mean, I would say it, it is uh, it is the best uh, opening match that we could have wanted for a World Cup, for the D20 World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we as fans, unfortunately, since that World Cup, all the cricket has stopped, uh, you know. I want to just quickly ask you before I ask you about the women's game, how, is, how have things been going for you during COVID-19, during the lockdown? Do you still get a chance to, to train at all or are you are you itching to get back out there now? Uh, no, I have been going to the academy uh, and I've been training in isolation. So that's been going on well. I've set up a small gym at home, so been taking care. It's It's been raining here in Goa, so outdoor runs have been a little problematic. But then, yeah, I've been keeping myself fit. The initial 10 days or so were difficult when the lockdown started, but then I 
kind of had a routine and started following a timetable. So it became easier for me two sessions in a day. And the kind of uh, time I got to spend at home was uh, a privilege, I would say, because I am I am posted uh, up north and I don't get to be home for this long ever. So I've been uh, really, I would say I was lucky to be spending that uh, kind of time with my parents. Uh, saw a lot of movies alongside them. I've never been home this long. So uh, I've been lucky and just itching to get back onto the field and play cricket. Hopefully not too long now, but time will tell when we'll get to see you in, in blue again representing India. But, I, I, you know, Shikha, I could spend hours talking to you about this fantastic stories and just great for me to hear from you. And I'm sure our listeners love it, but I want to be respectful of your time. So I do want to ask about some of the discussion that's started recently um, about the women's game, right? It kind of kicked off with with Sophie Devine and a couple of cricketers talking about you know potential rule changes, and there was discussion about length of the pitch and the the size of the ball and things like that. And you know, you came out very very eloquently on and released sort of a, a Twitter thread where you answered some of your questions and shared your point of view about growing the game and the role of the ball and the role of the the pitch, etc. So, do you want to? to share a little bit of your point of view with our listeners and kind of, you know, this was at the end of June. We're recording this at the end of July. Uh, yes. What the response has been, et cetera, how, how the last month has been for you? Uh, firstly, I mean, not just now. I've been uh, hearing about these changes. I wouldn't say... Uh, Every now and then, but yeah, people have been suggesting these changes just to make the uh, the uh, the women's uh, sport, the women's cricket on the whole, uh, more attractive. I've been reading and hearing a lot about the suggestions being made since probably June, and then. I, as a kid growing up, I mean, uh, I have always understood that not just women's cricket, but any sport in that matter, we need to understand that the field that we play at knows no gender. I mean, I am a firm believer in that. And like I, I mentioned in the tweet itself, I mean, uh, the other thing that I believe is, you know, you cannot compare women's cricket with men's cricket and you should not compare any women's sport with um, men's sport for that matter. I have always uh, been a huge believer of the fact that, you know, for evolution to happen, we need to have patience. And like I said, we are evolving cricketers in terms of our power, our skills. And if you, even then, if you want to compare us, compare us for, with what we were in the early 2000s. I mean, if you want to do that and you can see how the evolution that has happened. And there were a lot of other talks of, you know, reducing the pitch and uh, reducing the size of the ball. I've always believed that there should be a clear objective of why you would want to do that. Uh, for example, there was this um, suggestion of reducing the length of the pitch so that the medium paces gain a little more high, a um, little more speed, and also to hurry the batters so have an upper hand. I am a medium pacer, and I can tell you that you know I would want to clock 140 and have that in front of my name. But then uh, that does not serve the purpose. There are a lot many other ways to do it. Uh, have the uh, field restrictions, uh, the change in the field restrictions. We still have a batting power play after the first 10 mandatory, wherein we just have three fielders outside. So if you want to do it, there are a lot many more other ways by which you can do it. And uh, uh, also reducing the length of the pitch, you cannot really downright say no to it. But then we need to extensively think and think of where would you want to put these, uh, you know, tweaks where 
everyone is open to experimentation, but we need to understand where can we put these tweaks in. Probably at school level cricket, because at domestic level cricket also we do not play as much, so the logistics will be a huge problem. So yes, I mean it was something that I had, I strongly felt about felt about, and I wanted to come out and write. I am someone who writes a little as well. I have a blog post, but I'm not a, a frequent uh, poster, so. I kind of started writing a tweet and I realized one tweet wouldn't suffice. So I wrote the whole thread and I was amazed by the kind of response uh, I got. The next day morning, I had so many retweets and it was not just about getting positive responses. People just came out and voiced their opinion, which was amazing. And firstly, uh, we need to understand the fact that if so many people are coming out and suggesting tweaks to make women's cricket more attractive, we need to understand that people are interested in women's cricket and they are trying to positively affect the sport. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, actually. The the fact that your tweets, etc. triggered the conversation, right? Whether people agree or not, exactly as you said, there is conversation happening. There are people across the globe from fans to young supporters to the obviously administrators who make the decisions who are all at least now thinking about and talking about this. You know, I want to just address two quick things. The first is it's important to remind our listeners and, you know, all fans of the game, March 8th, right, which is not that long ago, which is about a week before these lockdowns started happening, 86,000 spectators turned up in, in the MCG, right? And the uh, I don't know what the numbers were, but as you said in your tweet as well, several million watched live on their television sets. I was in the U.S. at the time watching at all odd hours of the morning to to be able to watch that. Right. So as we think about that, obviously women's cricket has the potential to be to be big, even necessary, even without these rule changes. But then I want to ask because you you talk about investment as well, and that's a really important part of this, right? What are outside of the logistics driven rule changes, if you will, so pitch and ball, what are some of the things you as one of the leading fast bowlers in the in the global game today would like to see? So you've mentioned DRS, Nico, Hotspot, those kinds of things that would you'd like to see the investment in grounds. You mentioned briefly field restrictions. What are some of the other things you would like to see happen to keep driving growth of the women's game? I mean, field restrictions was just, you know, very technical because we still have four uh, four fielders out. Um, after we finish the first six mandatory overs, and I'll tell you, it becomes very difficult if someone like Anisa Healy is after you. So uh, that that's one another thing. I mean, I, it was just with regard to you know the balance between the ball and the bat. That was the point that I was trying to make. But I am a firm believer that we need to uh, market the game, the sport really well. We had been to Australia, and uh, the kind of work they had uh, put in the Watch Me campaign of theirs, uh, 86,000, I mean, people had, uh, 86,000 plus people had turned, uh, you know, had come to watch play at MCG, I mean, which is amazing. Uh, WB Sir, who has been on your podcast before, he actually spoke to us before the game and he said, if I could cheat, I could, I would want to turn up tomorrow and play instead of you guys because it's it's such a uh, one once in a lifetime uh, opportunity for you guys to be playing at G. And to be playing in front of these many players, and it's a World Cup final. And I've always believed that. I had read this interview by Serena Williams where she said, "Do not compare my game with a Roger Federer because if I am playing at the center uh, center court and not a single uh, seat is empty, I have achieved what I've come here for." So if eighty six thousand people have come in and watched us play, so they love the sport and they they want to watch us play. So that that's something that I firmly believe in, and having those many people come in just kind of reinstated my belief in in the sport that I play. 
And uh, like I said in the tweet, we need to have a lot of grassroots level investments being made, a lot of uh, tournaments for the school kids. Uh, that's the way ahead. I mean, that is, uh, that's how you are going to, uh, you know, uh, tell this five-year-old kid that, you know, you take up the uh, game professionally. There is, there is a future in it for you. So according to me, it is all about investments, marketing the sport really well and the grassroots level, uh, you know, having more tournaments for the kids, for the girls. Very, very well said. And I love that you drew the parallel to to Serena Williams, right? Because obviously tennis is a great example of a sport that over time now, most of the Grand Slams uh, are equal pay for when, yes. men and women. You'd rare, you've ne- I've never seen a Serena Williams match without with an empty seat in the house. And so I, I can safely say as a fan of the game, two things. One, we hope that women's cricket continues to grow on the trajectory it has. But also secondly, everything that you and the rest of the women's squad is doing right now for, for the Indian women's cricket game is absolutely outstanding. We want to see lots more of it. We on this show have debated a lot about a women's IPL and how quickly we want to see it. We've talked a lot about better telecasting, etc. So Shikha Pandey, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. We are just like you are dying to get it back out there, we are all very, very keen to see you wear the the India jersey again. Get back out there, uh, firing in your your in swingers, and we hope to hopefully someday have you back on the show again. I definitely hope there will be T Twenty leagues where we see you play a part. And again, thank you for being a vocal presence in the sport and driving for good, healthy discussion about the future of the women's game. Shikha Pandey, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk cricket. I'm someone who loves talking cricket. So thanks a lot for having me and uh, take care. Thank you. Thank you very much. That brings us to the end of another wonderful episode in conversation with Shikha Pandey. Just great to chat with her about her views on the women's game and obviously her experiences too. As always, we will release another new episode in about a week's time. And of course, since we last spoke to you, we've also learned that the IPL has announced its return date on the 19th of September 2020. We are incredibly excited. Under two months away, lots of great IPL content coming your way soon. So be sure to keep following us on social media. We're at One Tip One Hand on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. The next time Varun, DJ and I are all together again, we will be talking lots and lots about the IPL, lots more cricket coming up in England. So we love to connect with you guys. We'd love to hear feedback from you. Send it all in at one tip one hand on social media contact at one tip one hand is the email address and we will be back next week thank you very much hello 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 everybody it's been another great week on the IBM podcast network on what the hell navya jaya bachchan chwetananda and navya herself dish out stories from their childhood they discuss tough love between parents and their kids on Pesa Vesa, Anupam talks to Bhaman Irani, President-elect Kredai, and Chairman and MD at Rustamji. They discuss the concept of buy versus rent and how to approach buying property in 2022. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus is joined by Meghnath and comedian Shad Shafi. They discuss their opinions on the ongoing Congress presidential elections and Prashant Kishore embarking on a padyatra. On the Life Manifesto, Zarina narrates a story that advocates that stress and emotions are not to be controlled but must be beautifully managed. And on the Filter Coffee podcast, Karthik is joined by Yashraj Akashi, Senior Ambassador of the TEDx program and curator of TEDx Gateway. They discuss the origin story of TED and its franchise model. Guys, go to our website, ivmpodcast.com. You can check out the merch store, also links to all of our social media stuff, which is at IVM Podcast. Also, do check out our YouTube channels. We have a number of channels with many of your favorite shows available as full video podcasts. Finally, we'd like to thank our sponsors this week, Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, and HDFC Mutual Fund. Thank you so much for making this possible. 
Do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about Web3, blockchain, NFTs, DAOs? What are these terms and how do they affect our future on the internet? So many questions, but don't worry, we've got answers to all your questions. Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya and on our show Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IBM Podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from. Working Monday to Friday glued to your chair making you feel dull? Worry not. Get your 5-minute weekly dose of travel around the world with postcards from nowhere. Join me every Thursday as I explore the strange, obscure and fascinating parts of the world and bring out facets of travel you may not have thought of before. You can find us on the IBM Podcast app, website or wherever you get your podcast from.